Trigger warning. This podcast discusses themes centered around emotional, physical, and sexual violence. Listener discretion is advised. If you're struggling with any of the aforementioned issues, links to resources can be found in the show notes of today's episode. We wield power as filmmakers. We, you know, we can mobilize people as filmmakers. I, the first movie, Murder in the Park, uh, you know, the people who, who we alleged um, set our guy up, um, you know, they got a lot of hate. I didn't want them to get that hate. I didn't want people to write them nasty letters or write bad reviews for their businesses. People just mobilize. It just drives me nuts. I made this, I didn't make this film because I hate Stephen Avery. I made this film so that the officers can heal. I know I'm sure it's going to, it's going to hurt the Hallbach family a little bit. I, I, I hate that it will because it's going to bring everything back, but I want it to give proper closure because they say awful things about that family. You know, even celebrities say awful things about that family, and that's wrong. They're the victims here. Testimony continued today in the most notorious criminal trial. In- when I was 12 years old, my testimony sent my father to prison for murdering my mother. This podcast serves as a type of therapy and reconciliation for myself, and it is my hope that it helps anyone who has experienced deception, betrayal, and dark trauma. I'm Collier Landry, and this is Moving Past Trauma. Hey, movers. Welcome back to another episode of Moving Past Trauma. I'm your host, Collier Landry, and what's going on? What's going on? What's going on? I have a fantastic episode in store for you guys. So my guest today is someone who I've wanted to talk to ever since I saw his film, White Boy, about White Boy Rick. It is director Sean Reck, and he is also a fellow Ohioan and diehard Cleveland Cavaliers fan. His latest project is what a lot of people are talking about right now in the true crime world. It is called Convicting a Murderer. Now, he's going to tell us the whole story about how this came together, his partnership with The Daily Wire and with very controversial political commentator, Candace Owens, but uh, he's going to tell us a whole story. And what a lot of people are saying is that this is the official rebuttal to Netflix tremendously popular and successful series, Making a Murderer. Now, I won't get into how that film was made or, or any of the details about it because I've actually never seen it before, but I have been able to see the first three episodes of this show. And I'm telling you, it is absolutely fantastic. It is gripping and it is available now through the Daily Wire. I am pleased to welcome to the program, Sean Reck. Part of me don't want to believe that he did this. The blood that was on that back area was indicative of a head wound. My brother likes to push a lot of people around. I don't give a f- about anything. I ain't got to listen to nobody. How were these filmmakers able to convince so many people that a man like Stephen Avery is innocent? How many times did he stab her? Once. And show me where. Right here. They gave him power. They're trying to get everything on me that they did. It's not good for an Avery to have power. I had told you all along, keep your fucking mouth shut. That can hurt, Steven. I'm not going to lie for him no more. I can't do it. Watch Convicting a Murderer, a new 10-part series on Daily Wire Plus. I am so thrilled to have you on the show uh, because you're a filmmaker. You work in true crime. You have the CV that is so extensive and saw on your IMDb page that you had it and I brought it out just for you. Oh, yeah. 
My Cleveland yep. Cavaliers World Championship 2016 hat. Important question, where were you when they won? I was at home. And I'm glad I was at home because I think I cried because <laughs> the drought, you know, it was crazy. Weeped like a child. I was and I and I, I was crying. I was on the phone with my brother. I was in LA and I was started running down Hyperion Avenue in Silver Lake, screaming, "We won!" I only had that feeling once before in my life, and I'm much older than you, but it was the the John Elway game. You know, there was just like a minute left or yeah. something, and I was like, "This is going to happen. This is at, we're actually going to go to the Super Bowl." Right. And then my dreams were my hopes were dashed, and I thought for sure, "We're Cleveland. Something's going to happen." And man, it didn't. We we actually, well, I, I I will never criticize LeBron James because it, because he delivered on that promise. I just I, he just came back and did it. You know, he deli- and he got us a ring and. Uh, I, I, he he did what he said. I wasn't I wasn't even mad when he left. You know, I wasn't mad either. You know, I think I, I think I was just kind of like ticked at like the the way it happened. You still live in Ohio, correct? Oh yeah, I live in I'm living Cleveland. I live on Sioux Falls. Oh okay, so you're you're right there in the thick of it. You know, I left, and my reason for leaving was a lot different than than probably most people's. Right, um, obviously having grown up in in extreme violence with my father's case and the murder of my mother, et cetera, et cetera, but. Um, I didn't blame him for leaving and wanting to go to warmer weather. I moved to, I dropped out of Oberlin and moved to California. I was like, screw this. I want to go where it's warm. I love it out there. That's my second home. I love Malibu. I love, uh, I love Beverly Hills too. Uh, the, the restaurants. I, I don't miss many meals. So I, I like South Beverly grill and Spago's and I go to all those joints. You'll have to let me know when you're out here again. Hopefully we can meet up, but we're going to see each other at CrimeCon. Sure are which is fabulous so this project convicting a murderer you got here you made a you made a film a few years ago in 2017 called white boy about white boy rick and what interests you in this in this store in that story and in getting into true crime and where was your genesis as a filmmaker like what is what is that story well the, the story is um i was the editor of a, of a uh, magazine for the apartment industry called suites um for uh I don't know, three, three and a half years. And uh, it was my only job as an adult. I've always owned my own businesses. Uh, but I had one that, that failed, and I just decided to get a job. And um, the entrepreneurial bug struck again. And I said, I always wanted to be a filmmaker, storyteller, journalist. And um, so I, I decided to, uh, uh, my partner's name was Ralph McGreevy. He was my boss at the magazine. Okay. He, he ran the Northern Ohio Apartment Association. And his next door neighbor ran Crime Stoppers uh, in Cleveland. And I said, you know, I want to, I want to make, I was watching the first 48 all the time and loved, I loved shows like that. And I said, I want to make a, a, a true crime show. And I talked to some people and they said, you'll never get it on TV. You'll have to pay for the airtime. And, all this stuff. And I said, well, I'm going to try. I'm, I'm a positive thinker. I'm a high functioning autistic. So I guess I don't, you know, I, I guess I, I can make dreams become reality sometimes, you know, with the help of uh, my maker. So I, uh, uh, we created the company, Ralph and I, Ralph McGreevy and I called Transition Studios. We came up with a, uh, a show called Warrant Unit, and we partnered with Crime Stoppers, and we did open-ended homi- homicide cases. 
and we did get it on TV and we didn't have to pay for airtime and we got great ratings. We won nine Emmys and Miami saw it and said, we want that show. And they paid us to come down and do it for CBS in Miami. We were on CBS in Cleveland for a while. Then we're on NBC in Cleveland and Los Angeles saw it. And we went out and made a show for KCAL for years. And, you know, every production company in Los Angeles wants something on, on the networks there to show off their work and for them to, for the sheriff's department to choose this little production company in Cleveland, we were very proud of that, that we were doing the LA Crime Stoppers show. So we did that on KCAL for years. We did uh, the Chicago show on Fox in Chicago. And those shows tips helped detectives solve 10 murders and catch 13 killers. Uh, we were, that was very fulfilling, but it was, it was a terrible thing financially, but what it did was toughen us up. It was like the minor leagues and we got very good. I told you earlier, production, you know, um, high, high production standards are free. It's all what you know, not what you buy. So we learned to make stuff look very professional on a very low budget, down and dirty style. And that's benefiting us to this day. Um, we're very careful with how we spend and, and, and things like that. So I, I got really sick of doing crime. Uh, I'm kind of a soft, I have a soft heart. And meeting with all these families every week whose kids were killed, was, is, it, it gets to you. And there was a case out in California that Absolutely. crushed me. And, I, and I, I looked at Brandon Kimber, who was my first employee. Um, he's now the president of AGTV, a streaming service, but uh, he was an intern back, back when he started. But I said, I don't want to do this anymore. And he said, neither do I. And I decided I wanted to do documentary film. And the sponsor of our Chicago show was an attorney named Andrew Hale, a civil rights attorney who, who has done some huge cases. And he appears in Convicting a Murder. He, he appears in all of our movies. And he said, I have a crazy story for you. I have a story of a double conviction. And uh, the guy who was let out was the real killer. And the, the Innocence Project got him out and framed a guy. The Innocence Project at Northwestern University. I'm like, you're kidding me. He goes, it'll be a very hard story to tell. And when he said that, I was like, ah, that's going to be my first movie. I'm going to try and tell this very hard to tell story. And it's called A Murder in the Park. And we we made it. I brought it to Doc NYC, a festival, and IFC bought it. And they very had not familiar. deal. So my first movie went right on the Netflix and Showtime. And uh, Time Magazine named it one of the 15 most fascinating true crime stories ever told. And that came out right around the time of Making a Murderer. So Making a Murderer came out after us, maybe a month or two after us. And then when people were done binging Making a Murderer, they, um, all these lists started to pop up on Vox and some of these websites saying, if you need more true crime, here's what you should watch. And it would name all these films. And we'd usually be one of the films it named. So all of a sudden we're making money off making a murderer. You know, people were getting what they call EST money, electronic sell through on iTunes and Amazon. So that was my first film, A Murder in the Park. And the first film ended up on Netflix. Second film we did was called American Gospel. It's because Brandon was tired of doing crime and I told him he could do whatever he wanted. It, it, it kind of outs hucksters and scammer preachers and people who use religion to make money and talks about doctrine and things that he cares about. I said, well, we'll do it, but no one's ever going to watch it. Nobody cares. He goes, I think you're wrong. And uh, I didn't even give it to my agent. I didn't do anything. I just threw it on iTunes and Amazon. And it's like one of the highest grossing independent self-distributed documentaries of all time. 
it, it was a huge success. Uh, and we started a streaming service based on that. The next movie was White Boy, which is about Richard Worshey Jr. You said you saw that? Yeah, I did. Yeah, it was fantastic. Also on Netflix and Stars, um, and number one on iTunes for a while. Um, and, but we started this about the time we were doing White Boy. Um, we started this like six and a half years ago, Convicting a Murderer. When I watched Making a Murderer, I was a fan. I watched it when we started making money because of it. And I thought, man, this is uh, this is uh, really cool. I, I, and I, I believed it because I, I, it's implicit that you're seeing facts, right, when you watch a documentary. So I believed it. And uh, but I didn't as a filmmaker, I didn't understand why they didn't um, close certain loops. Like, you know, why didn't they revisit the blood vial? You know, what, what happened to this? What happened to that? So I, I just would Google it every now and then, and I saw an article pop up in The New Yorker uh, that talked about how they left a bunch of stuff out and uh, edited things and stuff that I thought was like, you know, I felt manipulated. I felt like they they used like Howard Stern techniques to entertain the audience, but I'm like, what about the people they left in their wake? You know, everybody hates these cops now. Everybody hates this prosecutor now. So I thought that uh, someone was going to come around and make a, a retort, like make a, make an answer piece to, to slap it down, and nobody really did. But what did happen is that the law enforcement guys who were besmirched and, and the prosecutor watched a murder in the park. And I didn't realize I did this, but they said, you were the first person to expose the innocence industry. I go, okay. I didn't know I was doing that, but okay. And they said, uh, we would trust you with our story. I said, okay. And they're like, wow. uh, so we want you to do this. And I said, I, don't, I couldn't care less what you want me to do. Um, I'm, I'm an independent filmmaker. I will tell the story. Um, you guys have to t promise to not do anything else until it's out. So they kept that promise. And I, w I took way longer than I thought I would, you know, six and a half years. But they, they, they honored their, their deals. And we got this done. And I, I told them, I said, if you did anything wrong, we're going to expose it. And they said, we have nothing to hide. And, uh, you know, they admitted, uh, like, you know, you'll see it in the, sh in the, in the program. But, uh, you know, they admit in, with hindsight, they wish they would have done a few things differently. But, you know, these, as Andy Hale says, and he defends a lot of police in lawsuits, um, and he also sues police in lawsuits. But he said, you know, there's, there are always paperwork problems. You can always find a bunch of little things wrong. You know, why is this not time stamped? Things like that. And he said, that's just, we call it paperwork problems and every case has them. It doesn't really prove anything. So, uh, you know, we, we set out to, to make a, an answer piece and did so. Hey movers. Well, summer has officially set. <laughs> and as we move into the fall and the upcoming holiday period, I know all of the hustle and bustle can create a lot of problems with our sleep. And that's why I want to tell you guys about a product that I've been using from Next Evo Naturals, and that is their premium CBD nighttime formula. Now I'll tell you, sleep is a very precious commodity to me. I've been doing a lot of traveling and, you know, getting my my perfect amount of rest every night has been something that has been eluding me until I discovered Next Evo Naturals Premium CBD Nighttime Formula. I'm telling you, I have never felt this refreshed in my life. 
I'm telling you, it has been amazing for my quality of sleep. I wake up refreshed and I get ready to greet the day with a smile. Go, go, go energy all day. Upgrade to better natural solutions from Nextevo Naturals. Go to nextevo.com and use promo code MPT to get 25% off. That's 25% off at nextevo.com, promo code MPT. I was just like you, in, and I never saw Making a Murderer. I uh, I had a lot of people that said you should watch it, and I I don't know. I just didn't want to see it. I have no idea why. But after but watching your show, I had so many questions, and I, the first thing I thought was just like you. I had this altruistic view because look, I'm a documentary filmmaker. I made a film about my life directed by Barbara Koppel, who I'm sure you are very oh, familiar yeah. with. And you know, I am under this impression that like, oh, if you see it, it's they've done their homework and it's real, and in the way that your presentation is uh, in the show of just the disputing and the way that they manipulated it. And I'm watching the protests and I'm thinking here, they vilified law enforcement. They vilified the prosecutorial team and they've exalted this guy who has a lot of questionable things about him uh, in his past. They sort of gloss over, which is where I really got hung up was they gloss over the fact that he was in, in prison for this other this rape sentence in prison for you know basically almost taking a woman hostage and holding her at gunpoint his neighbor and a litany of of aggression and aggressive behavior leading up to any of this mm -hmm. and i just and you talk about the the innocence industry which i don't know a lot about so i'm curious to hear what your thoughts are on that but also I think we saw this most recently with Serial, right? And the uh, exoneration of Anand Syed. And I never really listened to Serial either, but... I didn't listen, to be honest with you. But why, you know, I guess, I guess for myself as a true crime, as a person who was thrown into true crime because of my experience, right? I often wonder why people are so, get so invested in these cases. And the amateur sleuthing that goes on and it appears like at least in making a murderer all these people put on their detective hats not to be confused with tinfoil hats and mm -hmm. ran out and wanted to you know whether you call it virtue signaling or whether you yeah i don't know what their motivation is but they it, it, the same phenomenon happened in don't f with cats the same phenomenon happened i forgot the name of the documentary about the boston the bombing of the Boston Marathon. Someone ended up killing themselves over over Reddit, didn't they? I I, I, I may be wrong. Yeah, I think I, I watched something about that. You know, we 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 wield power as filmmakers. We, we you know we can mobilize people as filmmakers. I, the first movie, Murder of the Park. Uh, you know, the people who who we alleged um, set our guy up. Um, you know, they got a lot of hate. I didn't want them to get that hate. I didn't want people to write them nasty letters or write bad reviews for their businesses. People just mobilize. It just drives me nuts. Um, you know, just watch it. If you want to do something about it, doing, do something meaningful, but don't threaten people. And, you know, I mean, Colburn has like 20, 25 hours of like recordings of calls of from mostly from other countries telling him they want to, you know, rape his wife and kill him and kill his kids. It's just horrible, horrible stuff. We play some of them in the, in the series, but that's, you know, you, 
we have a responsibility as filmmakers. And uh, I made this, I didn't make this film because I hate Stephen Avery. I made this film so that the officers can heal. I know I'm sure it's going to, it's going to hurt the Hallbach family a little bit. I, I, I hate that it will because it's going to bring everything back, but I wanted to give proper closure because they say awful things about that family. You know, even celebrities say awful things about that family and that's wrong. They're the victims here. So I did it for them. And I also did it for our industry because here's the deal. You know this because you make documentaries. We used to go out, go out and beg and borrow and steal. We have to, we'd have to get grants. We'd have to crowdfund or we'd have to go kiss someone's ass Absolutely. At, at network meetings for years and get a co-pro and then get crazy notes and not be able to tell the story the way we want. That was the landscape for documentary film. And ironically, because of things like Making a Murderer, we are very empowered now. I don't take crap deals anymore. We get seven figures for our, for our stuff, okay? So this is high, highly in demand. So the market corrected itself. That's a beautiful thing. But man, we're going to mess it up if we keep allowing stuff like this and some of the other things that have been out there. Hey, when the word got out that we were doing this, guess what? The Texas Rangers called us about the, the, the series Confession Killer. And they said, Netflix did the same thing to us. I decided not to engage and roll that wow. into this. But like a lot of other people who have been in in Netflix films, and Netflix didn't produce them all. They A Netflix original isn't necessarily something they created from scratch. It's just, you know, they just fully bought it, you know what I mean, and put their name on it sometimes. Um, but like a lot of these things, people claim that they were wronged and dragged down. We can't do that or we're going to mess up this wonderful situation we now have where we can actually get a few hundred grand an hour for a series, you know. So, um I, I want that to keep going for, I'm, I'm 58, but for young filmmakers, for the people, kids at the film school, two floors above us here in Cleveland State, I want them to have a market. I don't want them to have to be beggars like we used to be 10 years ago. Those are all amazing points and recognizing that this does pollute the entire industry, right? Yes, uh, it, it destroys our credibility. It's fake news. It is. It is, unfortunately. So... Uh, you got Candace Owen involved in this. Like, how did that, how did that happen? That actually happened because I only had one offer in Hollywood and it was a women's crime network. It was a good offer. It was a, it was a really good offer, but I didn't want it there. Okay. And with the daily wire, first of all, I lean that way. I'll, I'll admit. Okay. I, I've, I'm a Candace Owens fan. I'm a Ben Shapiro fan. Um, I subscribed to the Daily Wire when they started. Um, I have followed Candace since she toured with Charlie Kirk. So I don't have a problem with them. And I, I, I don't mind someone with strong opinions and a sharp tongue. That she has, <laughs> for sure. You know, I really don't. I don't mind it. That's kind of, it's kind of, the, it's kind of what this needed. Because yeah. let me tell you something. We thought we had a finished product. I sat in meetings with Candace Owens down in Nashville, two days, 13, 14 hours. She watched everything. And like a scene in Goodwill Hunting, she walked up to a whiteboard and said, here, I'm going to fix it. 
And she said, this is all in the wrong order. We were being really artsy. We were bouncing all over the timeline. So this is going to confuse people. This is going to be linear. It's going to seem a little boring in episode one and two because we have to get non-viewers up to speed. And Candace rewrote this whole thing. And Brenda Schuler did a, a ton of work for years. She's the producer you see. And she and I were just, Brenda and I were just too close to it. And we didn't see that there's a different way to tell this story. So Candace, Candace added a ton of value. And the Daily Wire team added a ton of value. And then I've never in my life had this type of promotion for anything I've done. Good heavens, the, uh, they, they, the stuff they did with Twitter and with YouTube and, and they put the first two episodes out for free. That was, I wanted them to, and that's fantastic. They're great partners. And I'm, I'm really glad that it's on the Daily Wire. And, and, and yeah, a lot of people won't subscribe, I'm sure, because they, they don't like what, what they believe the Daily Wire stands for. But this is not a political movie at all, not a political series at all. It really isn't. She says a couple things about, you know, um, you know, people wanting their own Mike Brown, uh, white Mike Brown. That's about as political as it gets. After that, this is just a very clinical examination. And she, she, look, she has opinions and she gives them. People can take them or leave them. I don't think it takes anything away from the clinical nature of the way we analyzed um, that series and the, and the crime that took place. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Look, I mean, I've, uh, you know, Candace Owens is someone who has very strong opinions. And, um, and uh, you know, I, I discovered her on Joe Rogan years ago. And I thought, God, she, I mean, she's sharp. She is a sharp, talented She may woman. be the smartest person I've ever met in my life. And I'm not being hyperbolic. I mean, I, for her to, to write an outline and re, rewrite 10 hours of television, after, like, Five minutes after episode ten ends is amazing. Yeah, and it's it's wonderful when you can find a collaborator that not only believes in the material that you're doing, but is there and to say, "Hey, look, I want to make this better because this deserves better." And I mean, the the reviews are in this. This thing is a hit, man. Um, you know, Rotten Tomatoes is giving it high scores. Uh, you know, even on IMDb, I saw it got seven out of seven point seven, which is, well, you know, IMDb is like, you know. They're guilters, ready to trash something like down, this. But guilters are voting it down. I, I expect it to end up with about two stars. Because that happened with the murder in the park. It started out at like 95%. And then uh, everybody in Northwestern voted it down, you know, at, at the school that was featured. It, it, that's just happened. The popular vote's going to go down because of the truth. They're just so mobilized and organized. It's going to happen. Uh, it started out at 98%, which was cool. Those are the real votes. Oh, for sure. And, and But I, I know the industry, so I know it's been pushed down. I'm looking at it going, it's still got a 7.7. I know people are just hey, one star, one star, one star, zero, you know, complaining. Um, it's, it's a very powerful and very bold bold piece and i and i and i love having her sort of sidecar analysis of everything as a alternative narrator giving you uh, context each step of the way that i think is just such a really creative choice and i get and as you say credits to 
credit to Candace for that because it's um it's no, really she had really a ton of value. Uh, people are like, oh, you got stuck with her. I was like, stuck with her, man. I love her. <laughs> but she's, she, she, I do. She's just what? Okay, she's opinionated. She, you know, she takes a lot of risks. She takes a lot of risks. She's got the courage. She had the courage. They wouldn't have done this. She was those meetings were for her to decide if she wanted this or not. We were being we were I, I'd say this in all my media. We were being blackballed. My agents wouldn't rep it. My aggregator wouldn't aggregate it or put his name on it. Uh, my foreign sales agent deals with Netflix all the time. They, everybody was afraid to destroy the relationship with Netflix. I don't think Netflix had to tell anybody to not buy it. I met with an agent. I'll tell you a story. So a friend of mine knows this guy who's a huge agent, huge documentary agent in Los Angeles, okay? Heads up a group, started out his own company, ended up at, with a very large agency, heads up this group, or did at the time, okay? So he has me go to this place, these this private place where all these rich people are, where they put stickers over my phone when I walked in, these bungalows in West Hollywood, okay? And I have this meeting and I see all these stars, see Jimmy Iovine, I just broke my NDA, Ted Sarandos, all these people in there, okay? So I don't plan on going back to the, the bungalows, <laughs> but anyway. So <clears throat> I have this meeting with this guy and the whole time I'm telling him about our slate because we do five to eight projects at a time. Um, he's just looking at his phone. Like he's looking at like Instagram, okay, while I'm talking to him. And I'm like, okay like the worst ADHD I've ever seen in my life. And I go, this one shows that making a murderer was pure BS. And he stops looking at the phone. He looks at me and he goes, dude, I have to work in this town. You know, I was like, okay, wow. thank, you for, thank you for your honesty. And uh, he doesn't work in that town anymore. Ironically. <laughs> wow. You what? probably know who it is from that, uh, from that right. story. What, so why do you think subjects like this, especially in true crime, do you think the polarization is, is A, it's political, or or do you think it's a mixture of, you know, I always contend that we we are so quick to lift up the, the perpetrators of these crimes and, uh, you know, it's almost like a messiatic syndrome with them because not only does the perpetrator have that, but then the people that are coming to bat for them, uh, this zealous way that they are just obsessed with this material. And do you think, do you think part of that is because nobody looks at the victims? Do you think that's just a, a fight that, that is just going to always occur, occur and is sort of the lowest common denominator that these companies well, are going to push out? I'll say as a Christian, that's just the nature of fallen man. I, you know, I, so I, I own a streaming network called True Blue with Chris Hansen. We resurrected the Predator yep. franchise. We have new episodes called Takedown with Chris Hansen. We have like yep. 40 of them. And, um, like people will write things in the comments like, why didn't you show the chat logs? And if I think about that long, have a vodka and think about that long, I'm like, why are they so into the chat logs? Yeah. Oh, Oh, you know, it's, it's like, okay, so there's like something more going on here than just watching a bad guy be embarrassed and, and get some help, you know? So I, I'm just saying a couple people say things like that, but there's some, there's some crazy reasons people watch these shows. 
62% of the viewers of true crime are women. Okay. Women are motivated by safety and security. So I don't know if it's contrasting their lives with how messed up other people's lives are so they can feel good about their life. I don't know if it's learning what to avoid um, and how to be safe by hearing the stories of others. I don't know if it's pure voyeurism and, you know, some, some little enzyme squirts in their brain when they, uh, you know, see this stuff. I don't know what it is, but, if you go to, I'm going to CrimeCon next week. That crowd is 95% women. Yes, it is. Yes, it um, is. There's a reason it's sponsored by Oxygen, <laughs> you know. Um, <clears throat> so uh, I don't know what it is, but I can tell you that true crime is an evergreen genre. There are no seasons. Of, there are no, like, down times. You're never yeah. going to see a mandate that says no more true crime. You know, I get mandate. You know what a mandate? You, you ever get mandates? Yeah. For sure. Yeah, it's like no more, no more pit bulls, no more cupcakes. Find big personalities, rags to riches stories. You know, they tell you what they want you to make. I've never seen a man that, yeah. says, that said no more crime. You know, it's it's an insatiable appetite, and as someone who's been through, you know, massive <laughs> traumatic experiences and devastation, I just, I, um, you know, I get. I can get why people want to learn about these things, but also I just think it's like, I really wish the Coliseum aspect of all of it could go away for the sake of victims yeah. and families. You know, when somebody like, you know, and I, I you know, I've interviewed people um, like Rita Isbell, whose hus who, who's brother, Earl Lindsay, was murdered by Jeffrey Dahmer. They had an actress portray her in the Dahmer series on Netflix. How do you think that she found out about that show and that she was portrayed in it, giving her victim impact statement? Because people reached out to her on social media, found out who she was. She's an African-American woman, a black woman, and said the most racist and horrific comments to her and started just stalking her email, stalking her, her, her social media, message after message. Um, and her brother was murdered by Jeffrey Dahmer. Do you think that Ryan um, Murphy cares about her? Do you think that he sent her a check for her social, her counseling or her therapy? You know, I, I think that that the, the navigation of power social relationships with with true crime is something that's probably the thing that has to be looked at the most. And I and I find fascinating that there's a story. Everyone, in, as you know, in the Hollywood daisy chain, everyone gets paid, right? So you have everyone, even if you're redoing a story like Dahmer, the writer of Dahmer got paid, the this and that. No one who, no one victim who has ever been exploited on these shows has ever gotten the paycheck for the original story from, right? <laughs> original story by. And it's a medium that I feel is really exploited. Yeah, I, uh, that's another ethical debate that, that I'm on the wrong side of, apparently. I believe in paying subjects. I really do yeah. believe because we're making money off of them. So, yes. and, 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 you know, that's why our standards can't be the same as newspaper standards. We have to create our own ethical set of standards. That's my ultimate goal with this film. So, um, but I do believe in paying subjects and there's a, a pretty darn good case study on it, which is hoop dreams. So hoop dreams, 
You know, that's Kartemkin films. They filmed the lives of these young black kids who were basketball prodigies in Chicago over, I, I think, years. And their electricity is being turned off and they can't eat. And, you know, they're like, well, this is real life. Man. We got to be real. We have, you know, and uh, they said, docs don't make money. Docs don't make money. The families just went along with it and toughed it out. And um, that thing made a lot of money. And being good people, um, Kartemkin set up trusts and paid everybody as they should have. And they pay him to this day. Wow. And I am I of that. that school of thinking. I, 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 I pay subjects. Um, I, I'm, I'm making money off their lives. I should be paying them. I can make the story without them. I never do. I always get their uh, get their involvement, but I, I, I you know, I, I'll I, I'll argue all day that I'm not, you know, saying, oh, it's my ethics that are keeping me from paying you is just it's just cra a crappy thing when you're when you're making a lot of money doing it. And uh, now we're starting to make some money. So, you know, uh, that's another ethical debate. Yeah, but it's one that they consistently have under the guise of like journalism, right? The true crime podcast. Well, we're journalists. No, you're a podcast. You're a podcast. You're exploiting somebody's story and you're making tons of money on commercials or you're a filmmaker. You're going to make money from this project. They should be. I always pay, I always pay like a $500 appearance fee. Always. Yeah, it, yeah, it's just it's something because they just and I and I think that the the problem is for me is the general public just assumes this. They just assume because you're on Dateline or they assume because someone's made a movie out of your life that you're that they've someone's backed a Brinks truck up into your driveway <laughs> and dropped that's, a pile yeah, of cash on you. School TV thinking because everybody everybody on the air was rich, but but that's not that's not the reality. You know, that's just like leftover from the seventies. And we sure. see how a lot of those folks ended up. Yeah, but it still permeates our culture, yeah. and I think it poisons this this business of true crime to me in a lot of ways because you because the public will then use that to excoriate the victims. Oh well, you want a multi? You know, I interviewed Kim Goldman a few months back. Her brother Ronald Goldman was murdered. Mm -hmm. O.J. Simpson was acquitted for that murder. You know, she successfully sued him for ninety million dollars, or the family did. They didn't get any money out of that. He didn't, OJ didn't say, oh, you know what? My bad. Here's your 90 million. No, he was like, you're not going to get a dime out of me. He's publicly sa said that. Yeah, he made himself uncollectible and protected his pension. Precisely. Mm -hmm. And, but she gets hate messages almost every day of like, you, you know, you rich bitch. You're, how dare you? You're, you've got the world. You made all this money. You have nothing to complain about. And it's it's utterly fanciful where these people get this from. And that's it's that mm -hmm. zealotous, it's that sycophantic nature of the public that consumes this that always has me. The the grand poobah of, of, of this super zealous group of Stephen Avery supporters, he tweeted the other day, no more media and interviews, um, uh, crickets, this failed, nobody watched it. I think it's got 9 million views now, you know, between YouTube and in six days. So, or seven days. So he, he wrote this like, and then like 20 minutes after he wrote it, we were in the, in the New York post, you know, I mean, we've been, Candace and I have been doing media nonstop, but they just, he just assumed and just wrote that we weren't doing media. This, this group might be the most fervent of the, of the anonymous keyboard cowboys. Boy, that's I like cool. that. Keyboard cowboys. <laughs> yes, keyboard cowboys. I, I can look at my phone every two minutes. I have 20 plus, 
you know, mentions on Twitter every two minutes. And it's all like, you know, sorry, you're so down, Sean, keep your chins up, you know, fat jokes and stuff like that. They're just ripping, ripping on me, uh, like nonstop, you know, oh, poor Sean, his movie failed. It's like the movie failed, I, you know, I got paid in April. Like my so movie crazy. failed. They're just, they just make all these assumptions and they just sit there and it's like, uh, a self-congratulatory um, echo chamber where they just all reaffirm what the other ones say, and that just gives it more credence. It's really weird. I'll tell you so, something else about true crime. Since everybody thinks everybody on TV is famous, it's it's not hard when someone makes a documentary about someone like Charlie Manson to write Charlie Manson, and he will write you back, okay? He's dead now. But like, you know, Stephen Erie will write you back and all these people become friends and do marriage proposals and all this stuff. It's a way for them to interact with somebody who's a big star, even though they're a big star for the wrong reason. It's the reason people pose with OJ at clubs and take selfies. Okay, it's like, really? It's so, yes, he was acquitted. But, you know, still, I think there are a lot of psychological things going on. And we, we interview psychologists who talk about confirmation bias and talk about how they can see so many things and ignore them, how they partition it off and say, OK, that's taken care of. I'm never revisiting that. We already know that they write that a lot. We already knew about this and we already dispelled it and, and, and you know, debunked it. And you know, this is all just debunked stuff in a collection. No, what it is is all the stuff that you irrationally debunked packaged and it's driving them nuts when everything kind of makes sense. It just drives them nuts. I, I keep saying this. I feel like I'm ending, or we, the whole team doing this, we're ending a religion. That you're ending a religion. Yeah, it, it, it's it, it, it. I think that the obsession over these things, and and you know how many how many. Well, I guess it must be billions of downloads. This making a murderer must have. I mean, how many people have watched this this show? I estimate a hundred million people. Some I, I, I've I've seen um, I've I've seen higher estimates. I know that seventeen million watched it the first few weeks, but then it caught on internationally. And I, I know that their stock price um, went up eight percent because of making a murder. I know that um, and it was going down at the time. And I know that they gained over five million new subscribers who a lot of them probably stuck around to this day. So, it, you know, it made them it made them money. Look, hmm. I don't even think Netflix is evil. I don't think they were like, Haha, let's get these guys. No, I think they were not. serving their al algorithms, which were correct. They, the, people wanted to binge long form journalism. They tried to buy the jinx. They didn't get it. And they had to find a replacement from what I'm told, allegedly. And they they got they picked this thing and they and they reworked it quite a bit gave a lot of notes. We have some of them and they're troubling. And, uh, but I think it was in service to their audience. They just wanted to please the audience. They wanted to fulfill what the audience wanted to see, but they really didn't give much thought. Not many of the people writing the notes gave much thought to who would be left in the wake here. And you've, and it's interesting you say the best intentions, right? As they say, the road to hell is laid with best intentions, right? Sure it is. Um, you know, I don't think these people intentionally, creators intentionally, So I mean, I'm sure some do set out to deceive, etc. But I don't think all of them do that. And I think that uh, 
that they're just at the end of the day they're just trying to create content that is entertaining and engaging with the audience yes. as you said we have mutual friends the filmmakers and i have mutual friends and they kept you know lobbying me to not go so hard on them and they're saying you don't understand you don't understand what if they were painted into a corner so i thought they meant what if they spent all their money on this so they had to finish it no matter what but and I, when I got the Netflix notes, notes, I realized that Netflix was trying to shape it and make the baddies look worse, meaning the cops, and you know, telling them to use more ominous music whenever a police officer is shown, and uh, you know, uh, getting a point of view about police. And um, I realized what their friends were trying to tell me. I realized, so I don't totally blame. The filmmakers for this, I think what I think they knew what they were doing, but I think Netflix. I know for a fact from these notes that Netflix was pushing them that direction. Uh, again, using narrative filmmaking techniques to to tell the news, which is just wrong. Yeah, that's a very good. It, 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 Those are their. That's their words. They said we use They said we were trained in narrative film. We use narrative film, filmmaking techniques. We had to develop characters and story, and had this had a track. Those are their words. And um, yeah, thanks for being honest. But you know, and they also said you know we had we had to deal with brevity. Mm, I don't know if I buy that. Like, oh, we couldn't include everything. Yeah, but everything ten episodes. You include, <laughs> everything you didn't include. You know, everything that was on the floor was it, its omission was favorable for Stephen. You'll show Pa eating lettuce for 25 seconds in season two, you know, so don't tell me about brevity. Um, I don't know if it was 25 seconds. I'm sure the uh, truthers will tell me right after this airs how many seconds it actually I'm, was. I'm sure they will. They'll drop it in the comments below. Yeah. What? Um so, but what is the answer? Because obviously people want to consume this type of content. Do you think that there needs to be warnings of like, hey, we've taken cer certain liberties? You know, I watched the Lakers series, the um, uh, Showtime. I love uh, it. I, I love it. I love it so much. And um, it is, uh, I, I just, um, you know, it always starts off as saying there's, you know, based upon certain events, but liberties have been taken or, or whatever their disclaimer is. Do we need to have disclaimers so people just can at least, I mean, or do you think that would even work? Yes. Where, I, like, I would like the, 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 the queen of our industry is a professor at American University named Patricia Aufterheide. She's, she, she started fair use. She talked Mike Donaldson into getting into the fair use practice, which saved documentarians, you know, hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars. She's, she's, just, she's just so influential in film. And I interviewed her. She's in the later episodes chiming in about this, which is huge for us to have her oh, in That's this. amazing. And um, I want her to form a, a panel of filmmakers and come up with a set of standards. If somebody financed this film who has a dog in the fight, people need to know that this was financed by somebody who had a dog in the fight. If, if you're advocating for somebody, say it up front, because these guys made an advocacy piece, an unethical advocacy piece, and said, hey, man, we just documented the story. That's what they said in their interviews. But they also then would say, 
We use, you know, filmmaking. We use narrative filmmaking techniques. Well, make up your mind. But we need, there needs to be a disclaimer at the beginning saying, you know, we accept the new voluntary set of standards. We volunteer to abide by these standards. We can assure you that this, this, and this, this is who paid for it. And uh, yes, we have a point of view. Uh, it's this, just disclosure. And, um, you know, certain things were edited for brevity, but you can go see it at uh, nameofmymovie.com. That's, that's really what should be done. Um, but the short answer, the, the, the short-term answer is don't believe everything you see. Do your own research. Do your own sane research, not sitting there twisting things. I mean, the people in our, the truth is in our movie had a theory that, uh, you know, where cows graze during the day had something to do with telling who did this crime. It was like, it's so bizarre. Somebody else wrote, you're onto something. You know, that's just so wow. bizarre how crazy these folks went. Um, that's why I call it a religion, you know. And they're, they're just seething right now. They despise me. They would murder me if they could. And, and it's, you know, you take such a risk in putting a documentary together of this nature, too, because you're taking on a, you're taking on a behemoth in Netflix, but you're but you're but you're not really you're taking on a perceived truth. You're taking on a perceived truth and and a gospel that people have bought into sorry there's a somebody uh, ups is obviously at my neighbor's door making the dog bark um but you know you're 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 taking on such a such a behemoth such a juggernaut and sorry i lost my train of thought <laughs> what <I> was saying <laughs> quiet <laughs> um you know how does so in taking on this monster how do you how do you then get other projects going how do you how do you then carry on as a filmmaker and and continue to put the truth out there and take you know take it up take up the sword and be like we're just going to continue down the path of telling the truth and forget what anybody else is saying and uh, and block out I the just, noise because we're not cowards uh, and neither is Daily Wire that's the that's the wonderful thing that's why they're perfect partners yeah they they took it when nobody else would but I'm glad they were the ones who took it I didn't even know. I was talking to Daily Wire when I was talking to Dallas Sonier. I thought I thought I was talking to Fox. We didn't realize that the Daily Wire um, that he was working with the Daily Wire. So I was thrilled when I found out it was them. I was, but I was like, oh, they will never. They could never afford this, but they could. You know, I didn't realize how big they had gotten. Um, and uh, you know, we're we're tough and they're tough, and we don't care. You know, will Netflix ever buy? Uh, you know, they bought everything so far from me. Will they ever buy anything from me again? I don't know. I don't even think they're that personal or crappy. I don't about think they it. care. They, they, I don't and think they, they may buy another piece of good work. You know what I mean? They may buy I'm Chris Hansen, which is coming out next year. You know, yeah. it's a great, great film. So, but I, I don't expect them to. Um, I, I own my own streamer and it's doing really well. And we were just awarded fast channels. So now we're going to have our own network. For True Blue, watch trublu.com with a bunch of, it's like a little Netflix, you know, but it's only four or five bucks. That, if I make stuff and put it on there, I'm okay. But we still try and license it to people and, you know, we want as many eyeballs to see it as possible. But I think we'll be okay. I'm, I'm getting old. 
I'm 58. You know, I'd like to keep making films, but I'll just, you know, if I do well enough this year, I can just go make passion projects and I won't care if I lose money. That'll be new to me because we've never right. lost on a film. But, uh, you know, I, uh, I'm, I'm not worried about it. Uh, my, the young people who were worried about it changed their name in the credits, changed their names in the credits and didn't want to be stigmatized by, you know, their association with this. But uh, I think that's that was a mistake. I think that this is going to be the biggest thing they've ever worked on. But um, so lots of John Doe's, John and Jane Doe's. <laughs> no, they, they, they got they got really creative and reversed words and took characters from 1930s movies and yeah, they got all, all crazy, they did all kinds of stuff. Whenever I would direct something, cause I'm a, I'm a, a, a 600 DP and, and that I've come up as a cinematographer in my career. Um, but when I would direct something, I would always, I had my cinematographer's name was Rowan McVicker. <laughs> that was always my guy. Yeah. I, <laughs> were like, I Who's Rowan McVicker? I'm like, he's really good and he's handsome. He's a great guy. You should, <laughs> I was adopted and my birth mother's name was Joyce Hernandez. Okay. Mm -hmm. And my, my, my name when I, on my birth certificate, my original birth certificate was Ray. So I was so worried about droning without a license and I did all the drone shooting. Uh I I wrote aerial photography, Ray Hernandez. That's hilarious. (laughs) It's just me. I just like, I didn't have the proper FAA certification, so I probably shouldn't have said that, but I don't do it anymore. But do you worry about that? I just got one of these little drones here and I I live by an airport. I got the three pro, the mini three pro. It looks like it's, it's better than anything I've ever had. I mean, it wasn't cheap. Yeah. Uh, It's it's amazing. But you know why there's so much freedom with that thing? Because it won't hurt a jet engine. Exactly. It's under a certain amount of ounces, and a jet engine can ingest that and spit it out without even a nick on the on the on the fan blade. I mean, I literally live not even half a mile from Santa Monica Airport, and I can just get the approval and I fly it around. And you know, I can't go certain areas. I, I guess there's a jail right here in Santa Monica that I got this warning. It's like, you're over the jail. And I was like, Oh, I had no idea there was a jail. Over yeah. There. The t- people dropped open phones in with, with drones all the time. Flew it during the, our hurricane here in Southern California, just to show what it was like. So, so talk to me a little bit about what you're doing with Chris Hansen and true blue around the time of, of George Floyd's murder. Um, Hollywood does what Hollywood does. And this is, again, weak need spineless people. They will cancel a show and say, look, we took care of it. Stop bitching. One network canceled a show that was 51% of their income. All right. Because it was a cop show. It's like, wow. Was that done by Langley? It's been resurrected. I can tell you that. Someone resurrected <laughs> it. It went from uh, the 160th network in the country to top 10 by wow. resurrecting that show with a different name. Fox resurrected Cops after it was canceled. Um, we're, recu- we're resurrecting something similar to Crime Watch Daily since I'm partners with the host. Um, and, of course, we resurrected something very similar to To Catch a Predator, um, which is Takedown with Chris Hansen. So... When that happens, I already started the religious streamer, watch AGTV.com, and I, I knew how to start an SVOD, a subscription video on demand company. So I said, you know what? I'm going to aim a lot bigger and make one for true crime. I knew Chris pretty well from doing the white boy film 
I said, if we, if you want to really have the freedom to do whatever you want, let's partner up on this. And he, he's just in Detroit. I'm in Cleveland, two hours away. So um, it, it worked out great. We've been, we were building it for a couple of years. We launched it in Thanksgiving. It's going really well. And now we're getting these fast channels. So it's, things are really, really good. Um, the fast channels are, uh, are launching October 24th. So if people don't want to subscribe, they can at least watch. And, uh, there's never more than two minutes of ads. There's always 10 minutes of content between the ads. It's uh, the new rules for fast are good. It, it's antenna television without the FCC. It's come full circle. And uh, so it's oh, just really? like watching TV. You don't have to pay for it. So um, you'll be able to see us on Roku, on Plex, on Zumo. And there's more coming on TCL. And Pluto's going to license our shows and put them on their on their crime channels, I believe. So you'll be able to watch Take Down with Chris Hansen a lot of places. But if you want to see over 40 episodes for under five bucks, go to watchtrublu.com and then you can download any app, Apple, or you can you can buy it. You can buy it on your um, app store on Apple or Android TV or Fire Stick or Roku. We, we have apps on all of those platforms for True Blue, T-R-U-B-L-U streaming. And of course, I will put all this in the show notes of today's episode. Um, Thank you, man, Sean. You are you're doing a lot, and and there's something that you said earlier, which you know is such a rarity in filmmaking. Uh, you've never lost money on a film, you said. Never, I've never failed to clear a project that I finished, and I've never failed to repay the investors on a project, and that's that's uh, the first one's unheard of. There are people yes. in Hollywood who are millionaires on development deals and never had anything air. But I'm telling you, when I go to South Beverly Grill, of course, everybody there IMDBs you when you make a reservation because they're all actors. And they're like, who is this guy? Who is this guy? Of course, yeah. So uh, the, 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 the greeter at South Beverly Grill goes, Mr. Rack. And I was like, geez, oh, man. Like, uh, And he was treating me like like uh, a, a film god. It's like, I'm, I'm nothing, man. I mean, you know, and he goes, I went to BW. You were in Berea. We used to have an office in Berea. I go, oh, wow. Yeah. What a coincidence. So I was like, clearly I am would me because we had the old address on there. But um, they treat me like a rock star because everything made it on Netflix, Showtime, Stars, you know, Foxtel over in Australia and England, you know, just like it's our stuff's everywhere. And, and that's just really uncommon. And that's, this isn't like me having a big head. It's just like, I think we have a pretty good nose for telling stories and for what people want to watch. This one was a no brainer. This was a turkey shoot doing this. I was waiting for somebody else to do it. You know, somebody had to make an answer piece. I wish it wouldn't have taken us six and a half years, but I'm, I'm glad we did it. I'm proud of the work. I'm sure we made some mistakes, but um, we tried our damnness to fact check it. And so the daily wire, but uh, I think all in all, people seem people who aren't biased are genuinely impressed. And we have heard from some people who have changed their mind after watching it. So that's that's pretty cool. That's very cool. That's very cool. Hey, they missed out, man. Yeah, they missed out. Can, you know, not to sort of fast forward on this, but where does this Stephen Avery case stand now? Um. Where is he at? And all he has what? the best appellate attorney alive. She's done amazing work. She's been featured in a lot of other films. Um, so there's nothing more he can do. If you've got Kathleen Zellner as your attorney, you've got the best. So 
his best choice chance now is the same way we we got Al Story Simon out, and that was a conviction integrity unit. So I think that you know if if he wants a new trial, I think that Wisconsin should form a conviction integrity unit, or maybe you know those counties can form it at the county level, and go back and look at some of these cases where people are out of chances in court. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't care if Stephen Avery got a new trial. I think he would lose. But, you know, it's just a, a waste of taxpayer dollars. But if so many people feel so strongly about it, yeah, retry the case. I don't I don't I don't care. You know, um, you know, I feel bad for Brendan Dassey because I don't think he ever would have done this if it weren't for his uncle. But he did, you know, take part in 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 it. So he's, he's paying a horribly steep price for it. But uh, they're, I think they're out of appeals. He's got a good team. He's got Northwestern's, you know, the people we kind of ripped on. He's got that team um, working for him. So they both got good representation. Let's see what happens. So he is still incarcerated to this day. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah, and he's getting old. Yeah, I mean, he has to be, what, in his 60s, 70s? He's not in his 70s, I don't think. Um, but he's he's getting up there. Well, the show is Convicting a Murderer, hosted by Candace Owens. And it is a fantastic, a fantastic piece of documentary filmmaking. And uh, uh, Sean, I'm just so thrilled that you've that you chatted with me. I, I really appreciate it. Oh, no problem. Hey, and if people want to want to, if people don't want to watch the Daily, don't want to subscribe to the Daily Wire until they know it's worth it. Episode one will be on YouTube forever. So just YouTube it, search it on YouTube, and watch episode one and see if it catches your interest. And then episode two is free on Daily Wire, I probably forever. And uh, so you can watch episode two. And then if, you, if you're hooked, then, you know, bite the bullet and pay the eight or nine dollars uh, that it costs for a month or two to, to, to watch the series. They drop every Thursday. It is worth the eight or nine dollars, trust me. And I'm not a true crime guy. It is worth it. The filmmaking is fantastic. Man, Sean Rack, thank you so much. I really thank appreciate it. Thank you so it. much. I, I appreciate you having me. Yeah, it's, it's just fantastic work you're doing. Um, where can my audience find you? They can see my, I think go to transitionstudios.com and see all the projects that we're working on. Um, you can go to uh, watch True Blue and uh, see all the, uh, all the crime work we have. Uh, we have a YouTube channel which is True Blue um, on uh, YouTube. And um, White Boy is on Netflix, ironically, if you want to watch it. Uh, Murder in the Park, I think, is on AMC+. Plus. I'm trying to get it on True Blue, but I can't get them to return my calls. You know where Convicting is? American Gospel is on iTunes and Amazon and also on WatchAGTV.com. If you're a Reformed Christian and you like that sort of stuff, um, it's really interesting viewing. And there's about... I mean, hundreds of hours of content on all of our on both of our streaming networks. So that's where you can find us. I will have links to all of Sean's programs, channels, networks that he has in the show notes of today's episode. Sean Rack, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. We'll see you. I want to say a special thank you to all my channel members, my subscribers, my Patreon supporters. Look, without you guys, this program would not be possible. So thank you so much for your support. Mover Nation, I will be at CrimeCon all weekend where I will get to meet Sean Reck in person. So look out on the social medias for more postings for me and more lives as well. On that note, I'm Collier Landry and this is Moving Past Trauma. Thanks, y'all. 
this podcast is made possible by support from listeners just like you. For exclusive content around this podcast, please consider supporting me via Patreon by going to collierlandry.com forward slash support. Please subscribe via Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts from, and please leave us a five-star review. If you want to see video episodes of this podcast, please check out my YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash collierlandry. You can find links to additional resources in the show notes of today's episode. This podcast is a production of Don't Touch My Radio. Copyright Collier Landry.